morning. How's everybody doing? I'm so excited you're here. If you are brand new, I want to welcome you. My name is Danny. This is Jan. We're going to be sharing the message today with you. I am one of the pastors here at Kesset, so thanks so much for showing up. We're in a series right now called Crimson, and it's, it's kind of based on that verse in Isaiah where the Lord says, though you are like crimson, I will make you as fresh or as white as white as freshly fallen snow. And the idea is that we all have stuff in our lives, but oftentimes it's the stuff in our lives that God is speaking to us through. And I don't think today is going to be any different. I walked in this, this particular Sunday uh, kind, of, kind of with a little bit of angst, and I couldn't figure out why. I mean, I do this quite a bit, so I didn't think I was nervous. And I, and I, just, I just kept saying, something's off. I told my wife, something's off. And, uh, and then I realized just before I got up uh, to speak, that I think the message was missing some stuff that God wanted to share. And I thought, well, that's not good because I have a great message for us today. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time on it. But I think what happened is a few people showed up today, and I don't know who you are, and I don't know exactly why I'm saying this, but there's some people that showed up today who really need to hear today's message. And one of the things that Kessid we are very careful about uh, revolves around speaking exactly what God wants us to to share in spite of how many hours and hours and hours we put into the message. Uh, so I don't know who you are and why you wrecked my vibe today, but, um, but uh, I, I'm going to pray that God just really meets you where you're at and, and, and even answer some of the questions you've been having. Uh, I hope that today is a day that is transforming to you, to all of us. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that uh, I just get out of the way here because I'm going to freestyle a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I know that without prayer and without asking God to sort of open up things and make himself very clear and very known, uh, then all of this really is for naught. You're just coming to, to be entertained, and that's not why we're here today. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Let's take a minute. Lord, we're here because uh, we have questions. We're here because we have lives that are full of all kinds of experiences, all kinds of uh, uh, trials, all kinds of uh, passion, all kinds of pleasure, all kinds of pain. We're here, Lord, gathering because there is no other place on this whole planet that we can meet other than before you to receive the answers we're looking for. I know, Lord, today there are people in here seeking. I know, God, I can feel it, that there are people in here who are thirsting for something they have never experienced. And so I ask God today through the reading of your scripture and the listening to of your spirit that those thirsts would be quenched, that the beginnings of those uh, answers would be heard and that, Lord, there would be some sort of transformational experience had. May we not show up, Lord, just to, uh, to learn something new. May we show up, God, to see something new about ourselves and about how you want to engage with every part of who we are. I thank you for every story in this room, for the risk they took showing up today, for the time planned, for the discipline, for the, uh, the, the willingness to be a part of a community that, that is searching, that is looking, that is striving to be better children, better people. God, we just lift this time to you now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to still stay in the same passage. I think I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to see what happens as we kind of unfold it. So I'm in Acts chapter 12. 
and I want to start off today with a verse from the Message Bible that's not in Acts. This is what I'm feeling led to do. So Matthew 11, 28 through 30, I think is going to set a great tone for what we're going to talk about for the next half hour. 28 through 30. Message version starts off like this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I think in this world that we're living right now, one of the things that I'm beginning to see more and more and more of, especially the last uh, few weeks uh, in social media, is a discussion about why people aren't satisfied with the lives they're living. Uh, if you right now were to Google uh, the word suicide, you would see that many people uh, uh, take this option every single year. As a matter of fact, suicide from 1999 to 2014 rose 24% in the United States. 24%, not 2%, not 4%, not a whopping 7%, 24% in those 15 years, and it's even higher now. With uh, the passing of some well-known people, people are having this discussion a lot more. And what I think is Christians, so let me talk to Christians, and then I'll spend a little time talking to those of you who are just on that journey, or maybe you're just here uh, to check stuff out. But for those of us who believe in God, I think we look at this world and we think we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to grab hold of something. We're supposed to see something in the woods, chase it down, wrestle it down, tie it up, drag it back to our church family and say, look what I did. When in reality, when I read verses like this and I see rhythms like we're going to talk about today, I actually think as Christians, will you put that verse back up for me? We are called to live our lives freely and lightly. We are called to live our lives freely and lightly because nobody else knows how? It's one of the most attractive things that Jesus said to people. I'll take your burdens. I'll take your stress. I'll take your fear of not accomplishing. I'll take your drive. I'll take your thirst is the way he put it. I will quench the very essence of your soul with my presence and you will be able to live freely and so lightly. This world is dying for this kind of uh, uh, hope. As a matter of fact, they are dying in that some people are actually taking their own lives to experience what they envision as freedom and lightness because the pressures of this world, no matter how successful, no matter how grand their lives are, oftentimes consumes them from the inside out. This passage that we're studying, I had no idea how this tied into what I was feeling in the back during worship to talk about. As a matter of fact, I don't have the word suicide even written in my sermon note today. That is not the, the, the topic of today's discussion. And yet, and yet, somebody walked in here today and changed that. Somebody walked in here today. And this whole thing is for you. Now, the rest of us, maybe you've been there. Maybe today you're going to pack away some stuff because, in God willing, it's not the truth, but you'll be there. Here's what I know. We are a people overcome with burden. We are a people overcome with stress. We are a people who have got used to thirsting and never being quenched, never finding joy, never experiencing contentment. And so when we get to the top of the mountain that is our focus and we see that nothing is up there but other exhausted people with broken lives, 
The last thing a lot of us have chosen to do is go back down and share that truth. And instead, we take a different way out. Today, I want to talk to you about some rhythms in faith. Some rhythms in Christianity that have existed since Christ came and gave us this thing we call the gospel. And I want you to experience how not only if you're in that place, I think this will help you. But also if you're walking people in your life through that place. Or you're just living your life without realizing people all around you. Statistically, people you work with, people you go to school with, people you walk in the mall with. Statistically, you're bumping into someone every single day who's contemplating that day that they're going to kill themselves. Every day at least one person. That's what statistics say. In every single service, there's at least one person, statistically, and I think maybe more because of what the Holy Spirit did today in this service, that have contemplated ending their existence in exchange for freedom and lightness that they can't see having any other way. The Bible teaches us about these rhythms, and I think it's a very uh, important thing to understand when wrestling with this particular issue. We're in Acts chapter 12, and we're talking about the church and Right now, the church is in this, this beautiful, difficult, yet beautiful honeymoon period. She's expanding. She's growing. Uh, her, her borders are overflowing with new converts. There's miracles happening. All kinds of beautiful things are, are going on. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 12, one of the primary leaders of the church, James, gets killed. This is what it says. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God." Herod at this point is the most successful person in the region. And as the most successful person in the region, he was the one the Jewish people came to and said, we need you as the most successful, powerful person in the region to stop this thing that's developing called the church. It's not the church. It's a movement by this heretic uh, messianic leader, Jesus. And we need it to end. These people are hanging out with Gentiles. They're crossing ethnic boundaries. They're hanging out with sinners. They're crossing moral boundaries. These people don't fit into our system. And so Herod sees James, who was one of the faces, right next to Peter, and had him killed right away, and his popularity grew. And so he seizes Peter as well, and he throws him in prison. And the reason Peter's in prison all weekend is because there is a feast in town, meaning there's religion happening all around. People are gathering in town to worship. And so the gathering of these people to worship stays Herod's hand from executing Peter for just a few more days. Now, Peter is in prison realizing James has just died. This is probably it for me. He is the the, uh, rock upon which the church is being built at this time. So it then shares two different schools of thoughts with how to handle the power and the freedom to express whoever and however you want to be, which Herod clearly has. And so Herod decides that he's going to quadruple the guard upon Peter throughout the night before his execution. That means that instead of four guards every three hours, one shackled to his hand throughout the night, he's going to have eight guards every three hours, so two on each arm shifting throughout the night, therefore staying awake, therefore making sure no one would come to remove him because this was going to be his huge home run the next morning. 
So there's two different schools of thought here that are happening. And it's really, really important because Luke is pointing this out. He's drawing attention for us to this. And this is the very first rhythm that we who follow the gospel of Jesus Christ just need to accept. And I even say this, uh, I say this as delicately as I can, but get over just a little bit. And that is the reality that you, if you follow Jesus, will be challenged. You are going to be challenged. Nobody follows Christ unopposed ever. If you are following Christ and have never been challenged, I would question your faith. And I would, for you. If everything's just rosy and golden and nothing is challenging you, nothing is, 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 is making you aware of the difficulties of having that kind of faith bring to your life, then I would question that you're actually even in the footsteps of Jesus in the first place. Because Peter is blessed. Peter is anointed. Peter is leading. Peter spent time with Christ. Peter understands more of who God is than anyone that has ever possibly lived before him at this time. And he's in prison. That's what happens to people who follow God. They follow the same path that God took. And our God went to prison. Our God was shackled. Our God was beaten. The closer you become like Christ, the closer you become like Christ. And I think it's profound in this day and age how many people want to follow Jesus without the shackles. I just don't see that in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying it's physical, uh, uh, you know, two years in the pen. I'm not what I'm saying. <laughs> Some people are like, man, I got to go to prison to be a Christian. This is crazy. This is crazy. No, I'm saying you have to decide that you are going to stop living like the world, which in many situations and circumstances makes you different than them, makes you appear fairly locked up. And oftentimes they will lean into doing that. James points out two different kinds of thinking when it comes to this experience of being challenged. The first one's represented by Herod. This is the old way of thinking. This is the common way of thinking. The old way of thinking, the side of Herod says that I'm going to put more of what I can control in place to keep what I want safe, safe. So on the one side, Agrippa locks Peter behind bars and post quadruple guards. I want him to die at this morning. Some people are going to try to take what's mine, which is his life that's going to make me oh so popular. So I'm going to take the soldiers that I control and quadruple the guard, an unnecessary amount of... of, of uh, enforcement around this thing that's going to keep my power and popularity in place. This is a very common way of thinking. This is what happens when people get too much money too fast, oftentimes. They start putting things in place to make sure other people around them know they have lots of money. Have you ever spent time with someone that just wants you to know they have lots of money? Yeah, yeah. See, those of us who don't have lots of money, for those of you in the room who do have lots of money, you really have to work at not displaying that, not because it's a bad thing not to have lots of money, but because oftentimes it's a little bit of a cover to make you feel better than everybody else. And I know that's a true story because the other thing that happens a lot of time are people with great educations who always try to figure out how to drop in where they went to school. Like no matter what, you're like, man, these goldfish crackers are good. Goldfish crackers are so good. I used to eat those at Harvard all the time. And you're like, how did, how did that happen just now? Because we shore up what we find valuable about ourselves, and then we lay it out there for people. We lock guards next to it. We say, this is mine. No one can touch it. This is an, uh, this is an old and common way of thinking. Protect who and what you've built at all costs with anything that you can. But James contrasts that. 
with this new way of thinking, this new kind of lightness. And it says that in contrast, the church simply stayed and prayed fervently. They prayed on the apostles' apostles behalf and they prayed the lord's will meaning they understood james had just lost his life and chances were peter would lose his but either way i'm going to stay at the feet of god and i'm going to ask him for this bold protection that i don't think i'm going to get but that i want and that i desire and i'm going to fervently with passion come before god and say i want freedom from this thing Freedom from this addiction, freedom from this bondage, freedom from this reality. God, I cannot protect this thing. I don't know any other thing to do than shackle myself to you. The world shackles itself to the things that bring it identity. Christians shackle themselves as bond slaves to Jesus. We lock on to who he is and we say, I'm going to go wherever you go. No matter the pain, no matter the stress, no matter, God, I'm going to go wherever you go. God, I'm going to face this challenge and i'm going to face it with you as christians we've got to accept this reality this is probably the scariest thing i see uh mature christians what we call mature christians teaching christians who are new in the faith and that is that somehow there's not going to be a challenge where they question their own faith i have had person after person come to me say they were mentored by someone who once the person being mentored questioned their own faith questioned their belief the other person was like i have never done that i you, you question your calling. I had a person tell me one time they followed Jesus their whole life. They've never left him. It's just not true. It's just not a true statement. Sorry if I hurt some people's feelings in the room. Uh, you've left Jesus enough that he had to die on a cross for you. Now, you may have not left him as much as other people, but you left him enough that your life's so full of sin, maybe only a little bit of sin, but enough sin that he had to die on a cross for the amount of sin you have in your life. The person who's never left anybody is Jesus leaving you. See, when we share our testimonies, we need to say, I started following Jesus when I was seven, and I'm here to tell you, even in my ups and downs, he's never left me. But when people hear you as a mature Christian tell other people, I've never left Jesus, then when they struggle internally in their faith, they feel small. They feel like failures. When you don't share with people that you've had challenges, you've doubted, you've had fear. I mean, Peter denied him three times. You're trying to tell me you've got the faith of Peter? And he denied him three times. I have never left Jesus Christ, never in my life. I'm going to call you a liar right to your face. Right to your face. I did one time. It didn't work out well. It just came out of me. I was like, that's a lie. Whole room full of people. So that's, that's not true. Because to have sin is to leave relationship, right? It's to break relationship. That's what sin is. And I think the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means for all have left Jesus, who then came after them as the one instead of the 99. Are you saying you've always been part of the 99? Always? I live as the one. That's like my thing. I am always wandering off because I'm always being challenged by my faith, by this world, especially with the way ministry now is having to morph to meet the needs of our society that's changing. I told someone the other day, I don't know if I have these skill sets. I don't know if I do. And the challenge washes over me. And then people in my life that are mature that I now know to trust go, Danny, that challenge makes sense. So what do we do about that? I'm going to show you. It says that the church prayed. And the next thing they experienced in this particular situation was freedom. Verse 6, now Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The next thing that comes in the rhythm of the gospel after challenge is often triumph. And triumph is not probably what you think it is. It's not success. It's not planning the church and having it grow or, or, or uh, going to do some sort of ministry and watching it flourish. That's not triumph. That's success. And that's important and that's valuable and the Bible talks about that. But triumph is different. See, triumph is something, I'll give you two things. First off, all triumph, real true triumph is supernatural. There's no credit given to anyone but God when, when God triumphs over something. Uh, our building downtown and the story of how we got it, that's the only reason the story is spreading is because of how we got it. If we just would have raised the money through the people in our church and then went and purchased the building, no one would be talking about it because that kind of stuff happens all the time. It's people who give well, serve well, they're mature, they're important. This is all valuable, valuable stuff, but that kind of stuff isn't triumph. Triumph is when the Holy Spirit comes in and accomplishes something that maybe is through giving or maybe is through serving, but it's always very, very clear that it's God who did it, and that way everyone else can kind of stand back and look even more like fools than they did before, but humble fools who get to stand in the presence of God and go, I don't know, man. Like, this is the best position a Christian can take, because it's not full worship, look at me, and it's not arms on the side, I don't care, it's like... God, you can have it. I don't know how you did that. I'm super excited. I want more. But whatever. People look at that, that was accomplished, and they look at the people who did it, and they go, those don't add up. And then there's this big space in the middle that is God. That's triumph. With triumph, I already said it, all credit belongs to our God always. When you hear people start to take credit for their lives, and they say things like this, the reason that I have such a close relationship with Jesus is because I journal every day. The reason I have such, such a close relationship to Jesus is because I pray four hours every day. The reason, the reason, the reason, the reason, the reason. Our church is funky this way because our church is based not on what grows churches but on what grows people. And scripture and spirit seem to tell us that there's really not any reasons and things that you can do in your own life to make yourself receive more grace than you've already received the day you accepted Jesus as Lord. The reason you are even here today is because God allowed it. Not because you work out, you lost a few pounds, or you have good genetics. Don't buy into what the world says because then you begin to believe your own story instead of his. Every single day, we give glory and credit to God because of the triumph of the fact that my heart still beats and my voice still works and my wife's still willing to be married to me. <laughs> These are triumphant facts. I'll give you a great verse to back this up. It's awesome. 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God, look at this, who in Christ 
always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, not us, but through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Where do you see your abilities in that verse? I don't see me anywhere in that verse. That verse has nothing to do with me and yet everything to do with me. It doesn't say, but thanks be to God, who because Danny was disciplined in his spiritual wisdom, uh, led himself to a place where he could receive the procession of God through the knowledge and understanding of Danny who put himself in a place to share who Jesus is with the world. None of that exists there. It's just simply God saying, I use who I want, how I want, and I usually end up using the people that don't expect me to use them because they're the ones who seem to get out of the way the easiest. People who are refined and disciplined, oftentimes people who are self-sustaining and who face challenge well, who don't admit that they've fallen from God, who don't admit that they've had thoughts of ending their existence or don't admit that they've been in such a low place they could contemplate or understand, people who shame-base other people for wrestling this way are oftentimes people who simply run on their own power. And God allows that, and I think in often ways God uses that, but I don't think he does it in a triumphant way. I just don't see it. I see it through people who are humble and people who are willing and people who are serving and people who are thirsty. These are the people Jesus went to. Why do you think the disciples were fishermen and tax collectors? Why not pick some of the rabbis? These people were so disciplined, they had the entire Pentateuch memorized by the time they were 12. And they're like, hey, Peter, yeah, man, you want to be with me? Okay. It's like 12 of them. And they're all like you. So why in the world are we trying to be like these other people? The world props up and says, be like this. Because it's touchable and it's tangible and it's easier. When you experience the triumph of God, you're humbled. When you experience the triumph of God in your life, you're quiet. I don't have to sell to the community that God is blessing us. Everybody knows. Because there was no leadership that got us here. There was just God. This is what we see throughout these rhythms. We see challenge, we see triumph, and then the last one is we see expansion. Acts 12, 12 through 17. I enjoy this verse just because if you really let the story play out, it's a little bit humorous. It says Peter went to the house of where everyone was praying, and when he realized that he was free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Remember, all of these people are in the house praying for him all night fervently. They saw the challenge. They... Uh, believe that God could triumph and free him. And so they're praying and suddenly he's at the door. He knocks, a servant girl comes, verse 14. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So he's outside, scared for his life, thinking this would be a bummer end of the story. Like, I'm free, I'm free, there he is. Ah, ah. The verse would have been totally different. Like, Rhoda, Rhoda, like back in prison and then Peter dies. Just a whole other story. But Rhoda apparently leaves Peter at the gate and she goes and says, hey, Peter's at the gate. The guy you're praying for, he's at the gate. And they said, stop, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it might be his angel. Uh-huh. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, 
He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then look at that last sentence. Then he departed and went to another place. How often in our lives have we prayed for the impossible, trusting God's ability only to mourn our disappointment, therefore never to pray that way again? How often in our lives have we prayed for a loved one that passed or have we prayed for... Uh, something that we really at that time believed deeply that God would accomplish and then it turned out to be different. And so therefore, when we think of prayer now, when we think of prayer perhaps like this, we don't believe then when God answers the prayer because he didn't answer last time. It doesn't say it, but of course we know the church prayed for James. This is what it's insinuating. That these people prayed for James and his safe return knowing that he probably wouldn't be returned, and of course he was killed. So then it says they switched and prayed for Peter. Now, if you had just prayed for James, who was killed the earlier weekend, and now you're praying for Peter, your prayer is probably something like, Lord, allow him to pass peacefully, right? Lord, please just, just, just I mean, save him if you want, but chances are that's not going to happen. So God, here's the thing, just, just make it swift and God, allow this to bless the church like Stephen, who was martyred earlier, and God, we want to follow you, but yeah, chances are this isn't going to turn out like we want. And then all of a sudden, God shows up, frees Peter, okay? So he triumphs the situation, and then they don't even let him in because they can't believe that God would actually show up and answer their prayers. See, this is an important thing for the church because what you have to realize is that when you face a challenge and then God steps in and gives you triumph over that challenge, then your job is to take the challenge and the experience of the triumph and, like Peter, expand into the world around you, showing people God's glory for the things that he did. But oftentimes, we will pray these things in our lives, remembering other things that didn't happen, and so not really see the fact that this time, in this way, God is giving us uh, a certain road to walk, and so we end up not walking any road. We end up being people who just kind of pray like lukewarm, sort of, I'm praying because I think I'm supposed to pray, and so-and-so said I should pray, but I don't really believe you're going to do anything, and so I don't really want to pray with deep, deep passion, but here's the reality. The reality is that God may not choose in every prayer to alter your circumstances. Like with James, he may allow a wicked authority to reign and to deprive the church. Nevertheless, God will always honor your earnest desires, even if not in the manner you hope. I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. God always answers prayers, but sometimes his answers are no. Sometimes his answers are yes. Sometimes his answers are not yet. Sometimes his answers are in a minute. Sometimes his answers are right now. Really, when we pray, what we're doing is we're coming before God boldly and courageously asking him for what we want. And do you know what? That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Exactly. People have been teaching people to pray the will of God without ever sharing that they also are part of that will. God will accomplish whatever he wants. But the truth is God wants to hear what you want. I was in the supermarket just last week and there was a guy pushing around a three-year-old little girl in pigtails. That little girl must have asked 50 questions in three minutes. It was fascinating. I forgot because I haven't had one for a while. I mean, she asked about macaroni, why it's called macaroni. What does roni mean? And he's like, I don't know. And, and, and that did not detour her. She kept asking and asking and asking. He started singing a song eventually to himself while he's pushing the cart. Mm-hmm. 
like that was going to like, like shut her down. She didn't care. She just asked louder. Where's the color red come from? What? I don't know. Children are built this way. And guess what? Children of God are no different. We're supposed to go before God and say, this is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I hope. And then we trust and receive the answer from him. Sometimes he wants us to stay in the challenge longer. Sometimes he knows that we will see it as success and not triumph if the results hit us too soon. And so we have to suffer a little. We have to sit a little. We have to wait a little until we know for sure that, do you know that if God would have given me a building in like year four, I would have walked around like, I don't know what the problem is with everybody in this church planning thing. This thing's way easier than I thought it was just pray and God will give you a building but about year seven those of you who've been here because we're coming up on year nine about year seven I just stopped trying and it was kind of negative I was like we're not even going to look for a building we're not even going to search if God wants us to have a building he'll just give us one (laughs) and all of a sudden it happens and people are like you don't get to take credit for that Danny you stopped you stopped I think sometimes God just wants us to ask in the uh experience he wants us to ask in the expansion of not only his kingdom but our hearts that our hearts expand that we experience him and who he is so two things about expansion i want you to leave with today one god's sovereignty isn't threatened by you you can hope for god's will and still share your own he's not like whoa whoa you said you wanted my will why are you asking for it right now god is fine with that all throughout the bible I mean, there's verses in the Bible where people literally said, God, I know you said you're going to do this. You told me from a burning bush, but I have a question for you. Maybe you could change your mind. I mean, if Moses can stand up before God and say, I'd love it if you change your mind. I know you're holy and perfect and righteous, but could you consider it a different way? Multiple verses of children coming before God asking this. God's sovereignty is not threatened by you. Lastly, the reason his sovereignty is not threatened by you is because his goodness is never compromised. You are not going to mess him up. You are not going to ruin his plans or, or, or tweak him in such a way that he's like, well, great, now I can't do that whole thing I've been planning for the last 3,500 years because you wouldn't play your part. That's not how God works. See, God rolls with this roller coaster that is my life. He gets it. Half the time, I think he's the rails I'm riding on. So why not just throw your hands in the air and yell, we? Why not just be like, God, let's just do this thing. And if sickness comes my way, I'll face that challenge. And if healing comes my way, I'll, I'll revel in the triumph of not getting credit for this thing that you did. And then, God, I will expand not just your kingdom because of what you've done in my life, but my own heart, my heart of Stone will be replaced with a heart of flesh. And guess what, folks? Hearts of flesh hurt and they're sore when they expand. And I think that's why this rhythm, this continued rhythm of challenge, triumph, and expansion is what we are looking for. It's what we are leaning towards. It's where we are trying to go. Ryan, put the challenge, triumph, expansion slide up for me. This is what I want you guys to see. I want you guys to see that this is how your gospel is going to play out. I have never met a person that hasn't went through this. So when you face challenge, stop whining. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you can't be hurt, and I'm not saying you can't be sad. I'm talking about straight-up confused whining. Why is this happening to me? Well, because you are a Christian? Oh, 
Like I pray and I do all these things, therefore it should result in great success. No, challenge happens. Triumph happens when God's will and grace are bestowed upon you. And then you and I through that struggle can give great credit and glory to God, therefore expanding our view of him, therefore expanding the world's view of us, therefore expanding God's kingdom into the unknown. This is what you signed up for. If this is not what you signed up for, you need to pick a different belief system. Like, like do the old school way. Lock up all your stuff. Take incredible credit for every... Do you know how Herod's life ends? We're going to roll forward. Do you know how Herod's life ends? I'll tell you how it ends right now. The same way that everybody's stuff is going to end. Verse 21, it says that Herod is mediating something for a local city. This is just in the very next few verses. And it says, eventually he came out and gave a beautiful speech because apparently he was a wonderful orator. He commanded the crowd, verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. So he was looking sharp, sharper than anyone else. He took his seat upon the throne. So he was sitting in this great place of power and respect that all of us wish we could have one day. And he delivered an oration to them. And it was epic. They were blown away by his story. And it said at that at the response the people shouted the voice of a god and not of a man. And he went Oh, it's a beautiful feeling. Feel it right now folks because some of you this is your whole life all you're striving for is what I just described from. Place of power and respect, beautiful gift, the finest clothes that have ever existed. And everyone in the world thinks, you're awesome. And they say that to you. You're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. You don't struggle. You never fail. You never are challenged. You are the great triumph. You are the one who expands the world. Well, it says that God heard this. Gave a beautiful picture for all of us. It says that God heard this. Verse 22, and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Just so you know, every soul in this room will eventually be eaten by worms. So you can choose to go out quick like Herod, (laughs) confessing your own greatness, proclaiming your own worthiness, or you can face every single challenge head on, trust the will of God that he will triumph, that your soul will be saved because of Christ who hung upon a cross, and you can expand his story, expand your life, expand your faith, and live and have a life of meaning so that when your body goes away, your soul spends eternity with God who designed it, who made it, and who wants so badly to be with it. See, we fail and we break in this world because we don't understand that it is not us who is supposed to keep our life mended and going. It is him. It has always been him. He is the nutrition to our spirit. He is the reason for our being. He is the purpose. He is the freedom that you are looking for. He is the freedom that you need. 
Jesus himself describes this in an interesting way. And this is how I'm going to close our talk. He describes it as new wine and old wine. And it's just a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful verse. It's, uh, it's in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And this is what he says. He's talking to some Pharisees. And the Pharisees are deeply concerned about Jesus' disciples because, as I pointed out earlier, they're all very average men. They say things like they don't fast. They don't have all Scripture memorized. They eat when they shouldn't on the Sabbath. They even work on the Sabbath. What are you doing with these disciples? And Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm bringing. I had to have men like them because men like you wouldn't change and understand. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And then he says, verse 37, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. When new wine was put into these wineskins, as it fermented, it would expand. And after it expanded, and it had already been stretched, it could stretch no further. A brand new wineskin would be flexible and able to stretch, but an old one that had already been stretched could stretch no further. This talk that Jesus was sharing was about wineskins that, that basically were already fully stretched with religion and self-sustainment and the idea that they had already made it. Jesus was telling them that what he came to bring them was something completely new and that their hearts would have to be stretched and he knew their hearts wouldn't be stretched so he picked brand new fresh people with no religiosity, with no preconceived idea of who they were supposed to be and why and he said, I'll fill them with my thirst-quenching presence. I will break their hearts of stone and I will make them brand new people. He was calling us to live a life like he was calling the disciples to live a life full of all challenge, triumph, and expansion. He was calling us to the gospel. And he knew that if we were already full of our own dreams and our own passions and our own hopes and our own futures and our own accomplishments, then why would we exchange that for one of great challenge, triumph, and expansion that would cause us to give all glory to God and no glory to us? You won't. And that's why for some of you, you are dead in the faith and your heart is gray in love and you see this world and you're raging with bitterness because you can't see that God sees this world and says, oh, there is such opportunity for me here because there is so much darkness and I am so much light. But it's gonna take people willing to walk into difficult situations with fishing poles like the disciples did with tools that don't even fit, that God's like, I'll use that. I'll make you fishers of men. Boom, the whole world's changed. If they would have been other skill sets, he would have changed the story to match those skill sets. Jesus is gonna use you to change the world with exactly the crimson in your life. Stop setting it down, stop being ashamed of it and embrace it. Accept the challenge of your stuff, accept the reality that God's son through the cross is going to triumph through your stuff and then step back and watch God expand your heart, your mind, your soul, his kingdom, your world and everything else. What else are you here for? To watch me? What a joke that is. And I'm dead serious. 
I will be here for a fleeting amount of time. And then someone else will, and then someone else will, and someone else will. And so will you. Why can't you just live your life exactly as God had it, full of struggle and faith and failing and following? Why can't we just be people who are willing to sacrifice everything else and say, God, I just want to be new wine. I just want to see. I do not have the skill sets to reach this world. I do not have it. Someone asked me just the other day, where are you going to put the transgender kids at church camp? I don't know. But I'm going to love on them and I'm going to go after them and I'm going to figure it out. The last thing I'm going to do is cross my arms and just say, nah, this world's just, nah, this world's just, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it. I want to live my life loving this, 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 I'm going to slow down or I'm going to step into a place I can't retract myself from for just a second. This is, <clears throat> I want to go out, burn out, die out loving people. And I want to do it biblically based. I don't want to wash out. I don't want to go lukewarm. But I don't have to agree with you to love you. I don't have to agree with you to sit across from a coffee with you. I don't have to agree with you to go to this church. All I have to do is preach the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do in you because he is a much better orator than me or Herod. I'm going to face the challenges that come and I'm encouraging you to do so and I'm going to watch God triumph over him so that he gets all the credit and then I'm going to watch his kingdom expand with or with at me at the helm because he doesn't need me, he doesn't need you, but he sure wants us there. This is our church. This is, I was born here. This is our city. And we are going to change ourselves before we change anybody else. And so I just want to encourage you to allow God to make you into the new wine he's called you to be, to face your challenges head on, to face and give credit for the triumphs and all the success and all the beautiful things in your life. Those of you who have finances, we're going to need them. This building, you guys realize after we move in, that's phase one. I still got like phase two through 12. I mean, I got plans and I hope they're from God and I hope he just makes it all happen. But we're going to need people with prayerful resources, with serving resources. We're going to need people to dive into a community and get dirty and come alongside people they never have even talked to, let alone loved on. And I believe that our church is called to be this place. I believe it's going to be full of people like in Matthew who are tired and worn out and are burned out on religion people who want to come to God so they can recover their life, people who want to take a rest, people who want to walk with him and work with him, people who want to watch how he does it. I want to be in community and in life with people who can learn the unforced, there it is, rhythms of grace. Those rhythms, challenge, triumph, expansion, and I won't lay, he says, anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, and so he invites you, like I'm inviting you now, to keep him company so that you and I can learn to live freely and lightly. Because if we can do that, 
if we can sit with people we disagree with, if we can love while smiling, while preaching the gospel, while not giving away any ounce of our truth, then people will see that we have something no one else does. And they will be challenged by it. And once they're challenged by it, the Spirit of God will send others from the community into their lives until eventually this thing that keeps them separated from God, it will experience triumph. And when it experiences triumph, and they become people free and light to live their lives before God, then they will move into our community helping other people, so expanding the gospel story. This is our mission. This is our time. This is our one life. God, we're here if you want us. We ask, Lord, that you would use us. We ask, Lord, that you would break our hearts. You would challenge us with areas in our life we are proud of or we take credit for. We ask, Lord, that you would bring great triumph receiving great glory for overcoming the things in Danny that bring death to him. And Lord, I ask that you would expand your kingdom, expand our community, expand our family. Through you, God, give us wisdom to lead. Give us broken hearts to worship. Give us generous hands to give and serve. Allow us, Lord, to humbly and quietly scream out our love for you. We thank you, Father, for this place. We thank you for your spirit and the way you provide. We lift this moment of reflection to you now. Amen.
Oh.